Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guests this week are Adriana DiLonardo and Sarah Rotella, the writer and director, respectively, of Almost Adults, which had its world premiere last May at the Inside Out Film Festival in Toronto and launches today on VOD platforms worldwide. It's a sweet little comedy about two young women dealing with some stuff, and it bears almost no relation to the movie they chose to talk about here. Adriana and Sarah picked Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, the colossal three-film adaptation of J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy epic starring Elijah Wood, Sean Astin, Ian McKellen, Viggo Mortensen, Orlando Bloom, Andy Serkis, Liv Tyler, Hugo Weaving, and roughly half the population of New Zealand. Released every December from 2001 to 2003, the cycle culminated in The Return of the King, winning 11 Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. In fact, The Return of the King was the film they initially picked, but of course we ended up talking about the entire trilogy, and that other, more recent venture to Middle-earth as well. You know, the one that really didn't have to be a trilogy? Yeah. This is someone else's movie. We won't talk about The Hobbit. (laughs) We can if you want to. Oh no, I don't want to talk about it. I never saw the last one. Did the you see the last one? Yeah, I saw all of them. Oh, okay. But I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> all right, well, for the purposes of the podcast, which I think is probably already rolling, yeah. um, I just want you guys to just start off by introducing yourselves, and then we can go from there. Sure. Um, my name's Adriana Del Nardo, and I'm uh, the writer of Almost Adults. And I'm Sarah Rotella. I'm the director of Almost Adults. And you guys picked the third Lord of the Rings movie, The Return of the King. <laughs> We can briefly talk about all of them because I feel it's one story. It's going but, to happen. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. what was the why? Why start at the end? I mean, why? Why was the one? Why was that the one that you guys picked? Um, personally, it's. I think actually my favorite of all the Lord of the Ring movies is the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. But, you know, with all of the amazing critical acclaim that Return of the King got, and it's also a fantastic movie, and it has like some of my favorite moments out of the whole trilogy. Yeah. So I felt like that was probably the best one to talk about. And I don't know how you can get out of Return of the King without, like, bawling. Yeah. Fellowship, I'm like, now I'm like, I can keep it together, <laughs> but not Return of the King. It's the more emotional choice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's it's funny. I, I, I remember, this is, to, to set up the context of it, I got some of the angriest hate mail I've ever received as a critic or a writer. Mm-hmm at all for suggesting that maybe it could have been two movies, two four-hour films, that you could shave an hour out of the two towers and that it would still function and have all the emotional impact. So clearly the the Lord of the Rings movies are a bit of a sensitive spot for me. (laughs) But also I've had, what, 15 years to digest that and move on and I'm okay Mm -hmm. with it and Mm -hmm. people can have the opinions they want to have and it can be three movies, it's all right. I mean, clearly it wasn't a problem for anybody else. (laughs) But um, I'm also older, so when did you guys come to it when what was your first experience of it um i originally read the books when i was around 12 13 years old but you have to tell the story of how you got the books yeah so i was babysitting my um parents friends kids so my parents and their friends went out to dinner and i babysat and instead of giving me money they gave me the lord of the Rings box set of the (laughs) books and i was like i didn't know what it was and um but I was really into, like, comics at the time, and they're like, oh, it's, these books are great, they're, like, fantasy, we really think you'd like them. 
And I was like, okay. So I read them and I love them. And then it was a few years later that the films came out. Um, and I was so excited. So I went to like every single premiere, the midnight premiere when they were still doing those. And I would go into school the next day super tired, but I didn't care because I was on a loitering <laughs> high. Uh, <laughs> so that's how I came about um, the films. I was in high school, though, when the films came out. All three yeah. of them. Yeah. And I'm the total opposite because I hadn't read the books. I didn't even know of the books. When I was in like elementary school, I read all the Chronicles of Narnia books. Sure. So I was more kind of in the Lewis side of it. But then my friend... When um, Fellowship came out, he was like, I really want to see this movie. Like, he had read the books. He was really excited. And I was like, sure, it sounds interesting. I'll go. No idea what I was in for. And I remember seeing the Fellowship and being like, this is so, like, probably grade nine. I'm like, this is so cool. Like, I love this. And then by the time Return of the King came out, I think we were both in grade 12. Mm -hmm. So it was like end of high school. But Mm -hmm. kind of, yeah. That's that's something that I've been thinking about. The, the Harry Potter movies sort of brought it into relief. It's like you're a different generation by the time it's over. If you started yeah, right. in 2001, which is the same year that the Fellowship came out, mm-hmm. you could grow for the entire cycle of those movies and, and be an adult when it's over if you were the right, right. age when you started. Mm-hmm. With Lord of the Rings, it's more compressed. Mm-hmm. But that's also, that window from grade 9 to grade 12 is pretty drastic mm-hmm. for, for maturation, for figuring out who you are and... Right. So yeah, you basically took the journey. Like you guys were. Yeah. Yeah. It exactly almost the felt right like yeah, you were just like growing with these characters. Like when you start high school too, you're like I'm like Frodo and everything is great, and then you end <laughs> high school and you're just like destroyed Frodo that just wants to leave. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So okay. <laughs> so was it ritualistic each one? Did you like? Did you make sure that? You, like, clear your entire schedule to go see it and block off the day? Was there... It was, like, a countdown. Like, I was pretty obsessed. Yeah, Yeah, it would be, like... um, I I think I saw each film at least two to three times in theaters when it came out. And like I said, I went to the midnight premiere Mm -hmm. and I went to each one with someone different, someone that was equally equally as obsessed with the films as I was. Because I didn't want someone that was going to be like, this is boring, I don't want to wait six hours in line to see Lord of the Rings. Like, it was, like, we made a whole day of it. Um... Yeah, it was like a it, yeah. countdown. It was a countdown until it, it was released on home entertainment. Like, And that was, took time back in those days. Back in those days, it would be like eight months later. Yeah. It wasn't like... Yeah, it was like August, right? July yeah. or August. Yeah. It's like watching it would be the, the first time again. It is, yeah. yeah. And I think it's still, I mean, blocking off time for the movies. Like, it's still like that now for us. Because in high school, you know, you just have school, but then you have time. You could go see the movie five times if you want. But last year, we actually went to New York because they were doing a live orchestra accompaniment accompaniment oh, yeah. with mm-hmm. all three Lord of the Rings movies. We were like, well, these four days, we're off. Yep. Booking them off. How the short came out at the end. I was bawling. Yeah. It was great. Had to, he probably just saw everyone's, like, ugly face because everyone was crying, like, by the end of it. Those poor musicians, their fingers must have been bloody. Yeah. Nine and a half hours. Yeah, like, it was, no, they broke it up though. It was uh, they did one on Friday and then two on okay, Saturday. Okay. I was afraid you were going to tell me no. They was the extended version. They extended all three. <laughs> yeah, they were it was, chained. It was sixteen <laughs> hours. Yeah. So, have you seen the extended? I mean, which yes. versions do you prefer? Before we even get into the movies themselves, I just this is the stuff that fascinates me because. Um, like I, I remember Peter Jackson being the weird New Zealand guy at TIFF who would bring right. these really fun monster movies. That's yeah. where I met him first. Yeah. 
and you know, like we're almost the same age and he was sort of coming up as a filmmaker when I was coming up as a critic and so we would run into each other every few years mm-hmm. uh, I was at the Midnight Madness screening of Meet the Feebles and then mm-hmm. Braindead uh, oh, that played like a rock concert um, <laughs> and then Heavenly Creatures and you get this evolution going on yeah. and suddenly he's made this but he's also doing that weird thing that he always did where I want to fix it. I want to put more in. I want to make it only like the Frighteners being an extra 20 minutes or 25, mm-hmm. I think. And then there's a four and a half hour documentary on that. <laughs> yeah. That was the Laserdisc that came out with it first. Yeah. And I got that and thought, you've, you're clearly like you can do literally anything you want. And this is what he wants to do. And then it was announced that he was doing the Lord of the Rings and it was announced that he was doing the way he was doing them. Right. And then the running time thing became an issue and then finally these longer cuts rolled out. So Like way longer cuts yeah. too. I mean Return of the King is another hour, isn't it? It's just Yeah, Return of the King is hours. four hours and like twenty four minutes with yeah. the extended cut. Which is four movies. Like it's really crazy. <laughs> yeah. That you can watch three hours of movie and you're still like I still have an hour forty two left. Yeah. Do you yeah. prefer the extended cuts or the I, I guess maybe because I'm just such a fan that I enjoy those extra moments that he puts in because like and I'm a fan of the books so like I did like all of those book moments because he mainly added book moments right. into mm-hmm. the extended versions um, so and maybe because also because I'm so biased because I just love it so much I'm like it could have been eight hours and I would still <laughs> love it and watch all of it every scene from the book yeah translated into they the have movie. put every song in it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, again, like as a fan, like I, I would agree with the extended versions because why wouldn't you want those extra story moments? Mm-hmm. Um, I can see if you're just a moviegoer and you're just you know want to see the movies four hours per extended cut or I think the first two. I don't know. I think that's three, three and a half something. The yeah. first extended. It's, yeah. a, it's a commitment. It really is. But his longer cuts breathe better. That's the thing that I find so weirdly fascinating. Right. I almost resent them. Because, and with the Hobbits, I actively resent them because I didn't like the movies and I don't want any more of them. But I kind of still want to give him the chance to, you know, Mm. I love his work enough and I like him enough that I want to be proven wrong that maybe there is a good film in here. But the Lord of the Rings, like the the expanded cuts of those films, they still work in a way that the Hobbit films don't because on some level the Hobbit movies just can't support the length that we know. It's a tiny little story and he's Mm -hmm. just expanded it beyond all reason. But... With Lord of the Rings, as you say, there is there is stuff to put in. There's stuff that can be entertaining mm-hmm. and, and restored. Mm-hmm. So which version, for the purposes of this podcast, which versions do you guys want to talk about for The Return of the King? Like, do we want to talk about the extended version? Do you prefer? The... I mean, do you guys want it? Well, for the listener, really, is there one that you'd rather they see? I think if they mm-hmm. are a fan of Lord of the Rings, to see the extended yeah. and... They're shouting it, at you right the, now. Where people walking yeah. around wearing headphones, going no, no. <laughs> or, or yes. It's interesting too when you watch the extended of Return of the King because there's so many small scenes that are kind of weaved in between. Where when or just the scenes are extended. Too. Yeah, for sure. But sometimes the, he puts these like little tiny moments in a scene that already exists in in the shorter cut mm. that you're almost like, why, why do they take that out or how could they take that out? It still flows, but it seems like such a. I would say to watch the extended too because I think so much of Lord of the Rings is about falling in love with these characters and it's like the journey that they go on and all of the moments he does add it's all mainly character development he doesn't add like oh I'm gonna add some more like action shots in it but there are a few where it's like I'm gonna put in a head smash that we couldn't <laughs> get in the theatrical version because then we'd be rated R right but um but yeah it's so much about these like characters that 
you really get more of a sense of them, I think, in the extended versions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've made the investment by that point. I yeah. Mean, you know, you've been walking with them for two years by the time you get to the yeah. third one. I can't... That's the other thing that's really struck me as odd is that I can't imagine binging on them partially because of the length of time that it takes to do that, but also because just these are, like, you're supposed to walk away. You're supposed to come back later. I mean, it is all one movie and everything, but you could... It felt more appropriate to sort of reimburse myself in that world every December mm-hmm. for three years mm-hmm. rather than sit down and do it all at once. I mean, I wouldn't right. want to do it with the Harry Potter movies because the actors would age really fast and it would be creepy. <laughs> but, you know, with Lord of the Rings, they shot for 18 months. So the whole thing is one shoot and one gargantuan epic shoot that never really ended. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, the week before the Return of the King opened, they brought... Um, Monaghan was off shooting Lost, although we didn't know that yet. They brought the other hobbits in. So it was Elijah Wood, Andy Serkis, um, Billy Boyd. I think those are the only ones who were here. Uh, the three of Yeah, the three of them came through. And Serkis was telling us that he had just done motion cap for one other thing for Gollum two weeks earlier. So three weeks before the release of the film, in an era where you had to print films that yeah. you couldn't just throw it on a DCP and go, yeah. he was still... Jackson was still tweaking it, which is wow. terrifying. Like you have this gargantuan machine of a movie, and yeah. it isn't done when it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus the CG, plus everything else. Plus, and that brings us to to Gollum and and the, the level of technical complexity that's going on. But first, I wanted to pull back on something you said about the um, the the R rating being a thing and how the, the extended versions can restore stuff. That's the thing that I can't quite stop thinking about watching them again. Is that Peter Jackson made, like, the most violent movies ever made. And they were fun and enjoyable. And what what doesn't come through in Lord of the Rings is restraint. Like, he's still doing everything. He's just found a way to make it, like, PG-13 fun Mm. and and epic, sweepy adventure. Yeah. But without, you know, I guess you can kill as many orcs as you want. Yeah, I guess it's the thing. It's just, like, as long as it's not, like, a human skull being crushed, then it's okay if it's this, like, fantastical orc. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're not real. Yeah. So. Well, that's the thing, right? Now you can do it with, um, I think they've established it with all the uh, supernatural action movies. If the blood isn't red, you can get away with it. It can be as, oh. as black in the Hellboy movies as they want it to be. Right. Or yellow, you know, like colors yeah. are okay. But, that makes sense, too, because in Lord of the Rings, all the orc blood is also like this really dark, dark, almost like a purple, yeah. yeah. It's just fun to say ochre. <laughs> <laughs> the whole the whole world of, the, of those movies is so kind of re- remarkably ridiculous for the way they can keep straight faces in these actors. I mean, these are real actors doing this, which yeah. is, the, I think, the key. But, yeah. you know, you do have Ian McKellen walking around going, oh, they have a cave drawer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's delightful. You're just so happy. Um, so this is the thing that I... The, the other thing about the Harry Potter movies and the Lord of the Rings movies is that now, all of a sudden, these films are gateways into the work of these other... this this really serious cast. Um you know, David Thewlis told a story about being worried that people are going to discover the kids too young will discover naked and total eclipse and all these very adult movies he's made because he was in the Harry Potter films. And, mm-hmm. and with Lord of the Rings, you've got the the body of Ian McKellen's work and Viggo Mortensen, mm-hmm. who is, you know, he's a Cronenberg regular. He's, he's that guy. Um, so was it your first ex- exposure to those actors? I think all of them except Sean Astin. And uh, no, and Liv Tyler, yeah, and Kate Blanchett. No, I think even Kate Blanchett at the time. I don't think I saw her in anything else. When did the first X Men come out? Two thousand. That's year before. before, yeah. yeah. So Ian e. McKellen also. Oh, oh that's sure. right. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I saw the first one, too. But I think most of them, though, I had never heard of really any of them. Even Elijah Wood was, like, a pretty big actor because he was, like, he a was, child yeah, star. Yeah, he was the biggest name, I think, yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think I saw him in anything. I think I could see. He was in a movie when he was younger with Christina Ricci. No, I really, I, I really like Christina Ricci movies growing up, so that's why I know that Elijah Wood was in The Ice Storm. So I saw him in that. Um... Yeah, I was like Sean Astin and Rudy, and like yeah. that was yeah. basically it. Yeah. Oh, maybe too, because like we were kind of like it was around grade nine, grade ten, so I was kind of yeah. younger. I would have figured the Goonies, but I'm old. I've um, never yeah. seen the Goonies. Mm. Maybe because like I I do not like horror films, and when I was younger, I thought everything was scary. Yeah. So the Goonies would have been too Seemed terrifying. Really for scary. Me. Yeah. yeah. And then did the Matrix come out before Lord of the Rings? Yes. The first one. Yeah, so. 99. Hugo Weaving also. But yeah. 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 Sure. So maybe. Blonde elf Hugo Weaving. Yeah. <laughs> I just Hugo Weaving has had this fascinating career of just yeah. being the stern man in all of these movies, and yeah. he's great. He can do anything. Yeah. But it is kind of like it's the giveaway now. That's like, oh, they're shooting in Australia or New Zealand. Like that's like Hugo, Hugo Weaving will be in it. <laughs> like the Wolfman, where it's like you didn't make that here. I thought it was so interesting too that Lucy Lawless was supposed to play Galadriel, but she was pregnant at the time and mm. so she passed on it yeah that's and i was like that could have been a completely different movie yeah, right it really is it's it's not wrong but the energy would have been totally different 100 percent different there's and somebody else dropped out too right was it mortensen the last minute replacement for vegan mortensen yeah. it was supposed to be like um someone towns it was it was oh stewart towns yeah, yeah, yeah he was supposed right. to play it but i can't remember if it was like he wasn't the right fit or they started shooting and they're like no this is not who Aragorn's supposed to be, and then they got Vigo in like last minute, right. which is like crazy that because guy I mean, yeah, just yeah. At, at on a moment's notice, can, will you give up a year and a half of your life to yeah. go ride a horse? Yeah, yeah, it's, and, and learn how to sword fight and yeah. be like the best sword fighter yeah. in yeah. that film. And I knew him at the time, I think, basically from the Reflecting Skin, which was this obscure Philip Ridley movie that. Just got a re-release last year. But again, if, you, if you're if you a fan of The Lord of the Rings and you go and see this, he plays a, a GI in late 40s, early 50s America dying of radiation poisoning and uh-huh. freaking out his younger brother. That's huh. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's fantastic. And it's just like, I will watch him do anything. But then yeah. when I heard he was in The Lord of the Rings, I was like, that seems... Like, who else knows who he is? Mm-hmm. A handful, maybe outside of Hollywood or, or casting directors. It was just really great to see this you know it, it's great to see jackson giving actors this kind of exposure i mean dominic monaghan was virtually unknown if yeah. not totally unknown yeah right? like his first feature film. i think so, yeah. yeah billy boyd's second i think and there's just all of this talent gathered and they kind of went collectively crazy for it they just all like there's not a weak link even even the tiny little roles like john noble and, and brad Dourif for mm-hmm. who show up for five minutes or sean bean mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. In his career-defining role, yeah. being the guy who gets killed. <laughs> um, it is like it's. You can look at it as an acting exercise, and you know most of it isn't. Like these people are in ridiculous furs, and mm-hmm. well, I think two-thirds of the population or the GDP of New Zealand was dedicated to producing costumes and and yeah. mm-hmm. and tech and working on it. And it heard like every person you ask in New Zealand 
either worked on Lord of the Rings or knows someone very close to them <laughs> that works. has worked on Lord of the yeah. Rings. Like, it just took over that country. And I remember when Return of the King um, was at the Academy Awards, the year it won everything. And I remember Peter Jackson doing an interview and saying that how shocked he was that none of the cast was nominated because it was, like, a cast that connected to so many people that brought people to tears, like, night after night after night. And I remember... Especially, I think, Viggo Mortensen and Sean Astin. I think it's it's crazy that they didn't get nominated. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Astin's an easier sell, even, as a supporting actor. I think yeah. with yeah. Mortensen, is like, is he the lead? He isn't really, because Frodo's clearly the lead, but right. at the same time, it's his story. It's yeah. that whole thing where, as with almost every big production, the actors, they're not irrelevant. Like, they're intensely relevant. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the reason it connects, but... Mm-hmm. The tech categories get so caught up, I think, that people just forget that there are people in it. And they just right. buy into the characters. The yeah, same reason, yeah. like, Ford never got nominated for Raiders or... It's um, the last, the most recent example of, like, an egregious oversight in an action movie that did really well. I, yeah, um, Ledger getting nominated for The Dark Knight and winning, but right. not Bale, who is actually carrying that film. Yeah. Right. But... Lord of the Rings, I don't know, maybe it is just some kind of... Was McKellen ever nominated for any of them? He wasn't, was he? No. I don't think any of them were not ever, ever nominated. Yeah. yeah, I don't think so. I think you're right. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where it just... They stop seeing the acting. Mm-hmm. I guess you just accept it. They're just so believable yeah. as those characters that they're not even acting yeah. anymore. I mean, certainly. I've seen McKellen turn into Gandalf in person, and it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, he slipped into character during the Hobbit press junket once. Uh, the first film was released. I went to New York for the junket because we yeah. put Martin Freeman on the cover of Now. Mm-hmm. And he just did this one little gesture where he said, what What if? And it, it happened. It turned on and turned off. And you're, you know, three 300 people in the room were just going... That was cool. <laughs> but he is like it's a remarkable performance, and he is like truly great in two or three scenes, as opposed to really good. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the first moment where the moment in Fellowship where I clicked into it was that moment where he looks at the ring, realizes that it's real, and just collapses physically, sort of shrinks before bucking up and realizing what's coming. Mm-hmm. That's such a great moment. I read that years and years earlier and thought, oh. How, I guess you just ignore it. You, how would you even get a moment like that into a movie this big? And there it is. He yeah. found a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is a shame that nobody got recognition. But, you know, I think Peter Jackson is doomed to never be appreciated for... Like, the things he wants are not the things that, that the mainstream wants, even though he made these gigantic movies, which are the definition of mainstream pop blockbuster entertainment. Mm, yeah. Like they're still weird and idiosyncratic and strange, and he used little people in long shots, and they're completely unconvincing, and nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. It's just how he wanted yeah. to do it, and it's fine. Yeah. Um, and then for the Hobbit movies, he came up with these elaborate... He was really proud of this. Uh, these elaborate double... I don't know how to describe it. They're sort of double matte shots, but they're digital opticals performed on two separate stages. So you can have Hobbit's... Uh, all the actors playing hobbits and dwarves are interacting in mm-hmm. one scene in, in this is in the first Hobbit movie in, in Bilbo's table, that big dishwashing scene. Right. And Ian McKellen is on a separate set interacting with his own stuff and the two of them were shot live and merged together like in a hard drive. Interesting. I saw an interview with Ian McKellen and he was talking about how um, when he was filming The Hobbit he mainly acted to, like, a tennis ball. Like, he wasn't acting to anyone. Mm-hmm. And it made him, like, he was very emotional 
during the interview because he said the reason he got into acting is because he likes act. Like he was mainly a theater actor before, and he likes acting with other actors, sure. as I'm sure most actors do. And it was he said it was like very like isolating and very like lonely doing that. And he so he almost like broke down during the interview because it was like so upsetting for him. And so I mean I've watched all this behind the or behind the scenes and special features for all of the Lord of the Ring movies, but I haven't for The Hobbit just because I wasn't really as into them. Yeah. So I didn't know that that's what happened with Ian McKellen. Because I know again in Lord of the Rings he's still act like he's, you know, five feet behind yeah, where yeah. they are. Like mm-hmm. he's all this stuff. perspective stuff. But he was still at least like in the same room. Yeah, no, he was acting with them. So I didn't know that they were general, like, yeah. Yeah. Poor guy. I know. (laughs) Yeah, he said it would just be him in a a room. And I'm like, that's heartbreaking. For, like, months and months. For months and months and months, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And because he's the only, like, normal-sized person in those films. Because it's just him and dwarves, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And the Hobbit films especially. The Hobbit films especially, yeah. It's, um, yeah, I just... I've been trying to reconcile my appreciation for the Lord of the Rings movies with my, like, by the end, my loathing of the Hobbit films, because by the time the third one came around, which isn't actually that bad uh, compared to the other two, because again, stuff is happening, at the very least, things are in motion. Um, but by the time you get there, you're, I was just so tired and burned out and resentful of the, the six hours I'd already spent yeah. at the idea of spending another only two hours and 20 minutes only yeah. with yeah. this story that I was so tired of. And I, I was, there was a window where I was, it like burned me out on the Lord of the Rings too, because I just didn't want to go back yeah. mm. and be reminded of all that yeah. time. I think what I was so resentful about with The Hobbit, which is such a weird thing, is that I didn't like how it tried to be Lord of the Rings so much. Right. Right. And, even, and I love Lord of the Rings, but I'm like, I'm like, why is the Hobbit, the Hobbit, trying to be Lord of the Rings and pick these moments and like almost like identical moments from Lord of the Rings? Right. When I'm like, that's not what the Hobbit is. So I didn't understand why they're like trying to almost remake Lord of the Rings, but with dwarves. Yeah. Yeah. Like throwing in a love triangle. Like, like I can't think of all those like love triangles now, or just even, you know, like characters being obsessed with certain things. I'm just like, oh, they're trying to make it like you being obsessed with like the ring. And I'm right. just, I was just like, it's not Lord of the Rings. It doesn't need to be as epic as Lord of the Rings. Don't make it Lord of the Rings. Make it The Hobbit. Which is yeah. funny talking about the extended version, saying that we prefer those because you want extra story more moments. But they did put the story ho- moments from The Hobbit. That's no. the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is they expanded on it. Yeah. And that was the weirdest part about talking to Jackson when the final Hobbit movie came out, was mm-hmm. that he was absolutely convinced that you should watch The Hobbit first. That now he's made... Like Lucas in the prequels, he's made a six-film right. cycle that starts with The Hobbit and right. ends with The Return of the King, and that is the way that you should watch them. And I just, I'm sitting there with this guy who I've known casually for, what, 20 years, going, no. <laughs> You'll never watch Lord yeah, of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. And we, yeah. we did talk, we kind of talked about it, and he kind of laughed it off, but it's like, well, you, you don't you don't know what you've done. Yeah. Not that you don't know what you're doing, but you, did, like, you look back on this thing that you've constructed and you don't realize that this shouldn't be here and that doesn't belong here and this should go somewhere else and this shouldn't even be on a DVD later. (laughs) It's just not... It's... Oh, I don't... I don't mean to crap all over the Hobbit, but they're not good. And, And the... Going back to Lord of the Rings maybe two years later was the way I got back in. I will never look at the Hobbits again, although the extended version maybe someday when I've 
sufficiently distanced yeah. from it. Ten years down the road. Yeah, but what it is, is there are these three really good movies, this one solid adaptation, and then there's this other one which just demonstrates to me that he still wants to make that one. Mm-hmm. And so the other thing I got from him at the at the final uh, press junket was mm-hmm. the promise that he's not going to do it anymore. <laughs> it's like we're he's not going to do the Silmarillion. No right. no, because yeah. I was saying, like, this is it, right? Yeah. There's no Silmarillion. We're, you're done. Yeah. And he said, well, there's some stuff from the Silmarillion in the final. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There are dialogue references and things yeah, like that. But, right. but he really does, like, he loves it so much that I think he will kill himself trying to find a way to make it all perfect. Mm-hmm. But... By the same token, I think he even he knows that this is it, that there can't be anymore. Right. And I think if he was being honest with himself, I, I know he didn't intend to direct. It was going to be Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. let himself be dragged back in, but I think that made him happy. Mm. I think he wanted to be the one to well, steer it. I was happy when I found out it was going to be Peter Jackson, though, because I was yeah. like, like again, I love Lothar so much. I'm like, of course. You're like, who, this is amazing. Why wouldn't he direct Experience it? that all over again with exactly. three new... Movies in this world, right? Yeah. I was just like, I get to go through my Lord of the Rings mania again. And then I saw the first Hobbit and I was like, oh no. (laughs) And I'm like, I didn't even want to admit to myself that I didn't like it. I'm like, am I not a Lord of the Rings fan if I didn't like The Hobbit? It's the same crew. It's the same people making this movie. And I was like, oh. I couldn't even admit it to myself for a while. And I was like, no, I don't like it. I gotta, (laughs) I can't pretend I do. It's funny. Like, I don't, I don't. Not a big, like, Star Wars fanatic, but how you were saying, it's like, you know, Peter Jackson said you have to watch The Hobbit first and then go to Lord of the Rings. It really sounds like episode, like, four, five, and six. Yeah. Versus, yeah. like, one, two, and three. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, but, and just, like, you know, on the terms of if you're just strictly seeing them as, like, films and if you forget that they're books, like, The Hobbit just doesn't, It's the movie isn't as good as Lord of the Rings. Because, like, my sister came with me to see the first Lord of the Ring, Fellowship of the Ring. And she didn't read the books. She had no idea what this movie was about. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't also even, like, a big fantasy or sci-fi um, person. And when she saw the first Lord of the Rings, she loved it. She was like, this is the greatest movie ever. She didn't know there were two more. She was just like, why did they end it like that? <laughs> She's like, I don't understand. Do they destroy the ring? And I'm like, there are two more movies. And she was like, oh, thank God. I loved it. Yeah. So, but I think if she had... She also saw The Hobbit and she didn't like it either, but I think if you had started with The Hobbit, as someone who knew nothing about any of these movies, you'd be like... Lose more people. Yeah, you'd be like, oh. Yeah. Because it's interesting because Lord of the Rings does... There's a lot of singing and... (laughs) True, yeah. There's a 40-minute scene of them eating. I'm over this movie. But I think it really, like, Lord of the Rings really has themes that kind of extends outside of the audience that are, like, the fans of the books. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's exactly the same with my sister. She's not... A sci-fi kind of fantasy. She's not even really like a big moviegoer. And like I remember the two towers my parents had pay-per-view. And the two towers was on pay-per-view. And my sister and I watched it so many times that we could just sit there and like recite it. And there would be like Elvish and my sister would just be saying it. Like as the movie was on. Because we just wanted to keep watching it. But yeah, it really kind of expanded outside of I think a traditional when you have like a sci-fi movie, there's such a you well, know there's there's film festivals that are for horror and sci-fi and fantasy, right? Because there's that. Audience well, I think it's Lord of the Rings are because there's st- so many different story um, plots as well that everyone's going to relate to something in it, right? Too. Like friendship or like the romance, romance relationship or, or yeah. the underdog story or yeah. good versus evil, evil like, yeah. 
Yeah. Environmentalism. Like, yeah. so many different yeah. themes. And you can do the homoerotic reading if you want to with Frodo and Sam. And yeah. that's simply not present in The Hobbit. I mean, I yeah. guess there's the there's the sense that some of the hobbits are buddies. I don't think. Yeah. No, I mean, Return, stretch, Return yeah. of the yeah. King, I'm like, Frodo and Sam and Mary and Pippin, Mary and, Pippin. and then Pippin and Gandalf. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just everyone. It is basically a, like a, just a... a, a it's a very fertile realm of slash fiction happening <laughs> yeah. in and around yeah. the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, but it but it works because the performances are there. Like mm-hmm. You buy it because there's genuine feeling. Like the, I like that there's a gay reading that mm-hmm. is yeah. as valid as the straight bro dwarves and hobbits thing that's going right. on. It's just people being... But yeah, it is possible to read an entirely different... Uh, emotional motivation into virtually every character in the yeah. fellowship, which yeah. is sort of amazing. And they all pay off in the third one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say there's some structural stuff that's necessary to make it three movies, and I'm still kind of weirded out that they didn't put Shelob at the end of the second film because that's right. the greatest ending that you could possibly have. I mean, in yeah. the like in the book, you're just like, what? Yeah, Frodo's dead. Like, how yeah. can you end it like that? Or like, what's going to happen? Yeah. So yeah, I thought for sure they were going to end the second one with. She like and she loves Lair. Or at and least like, introduce, right? Yeah. Like, here is a giant spider, come back next year. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> but But it is not until like what it's like honestly, I think two hours into the third movie that she loved. Is it that comes far? In. I know it, it's a in the extended it is. Yeah. Oh well sure. So, but yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and the um regular the producer's cut, I'm not sure. Yeah. When she comes in. But it's a while. Yeah. And ending on the battle is still pretty cool. I mean, yeah. I, I, my argument was that if they'd ended it with the beginning of the, of the final battle, uh, if, you, if you get fellowship, if you make it four hours and you go all the way in and you end with the final charge or with that, that peril point and then just come back to finish it, you've got a roller coaster straight down to the end of the second film mm-hmm. if you only do two. And I got, I got angry faxes. That's how far back <laughs> this goes. <laughs> But well, wasn't it originally, I think it was originally supposed to be one movie, and then New Line was like, okay, no, let's make it two movies, and then I think whatever happened, you know, Peter Jackson's like, no, we need three movies, it's three Or maybe three the movies. first one came out, and they were like, studio. No, no, they, oh, no, it, was, it, was, it was three movies, they, 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 by the time it went into production, into production oh. yeah, um, but originally it was supposed to be one, yeah, then okay. two. Bob and Harvey Weinstein, when they had it, were going to do it as two at Miramax. I don't know who was going to direct it at the time. But it was there, like they were talking about two three hour films. And then by the time New Line picked it up, I think that's where the money came from. Like mm. They could do it all. It would, and it was Jackson who came up with the idea of shooting one continuous production yeah. and breaking it up into three films. Because I, I guess that saves money, right? If you yeah, do it like yeah, that. Yeah, you never yeah. shut down. You yeah. just keep going. I think yeah. it was, I think it's 18 months and something like 180 million all in, which is incredibly cheap. Yeah. Mm. Given that I think the Hobbit movies each cost about that much by yeah, the end of it right. with all the CG and the frame stuff. Uh, oh yeah, did you see um, the Hobbit in, the, in high frame rate versions? Or did you just see it conventionally? I think we did. I remember seeing the first one in the high frame rate. Yeah, I did mm. see the first one in the high frame right? rate as well. That's how they screened it for us, too. Yeah. And yeah. then they didn't for the other two. Yeah. I think they knew. Yes. Yeah. Well, it just looked so... It looked comical. Yeah. yeah. I found, like, it just... It works against the things that Jackson <clears throat> loves, which are those sweeping pans. It yeah. flattens everything out, and all the action seemed to tilt in a weird right. way. Mm-hmm. It was just really unpleasant. <laughs> um, I And I have talked to Douglas Trumbull about uh, the new HFR process, the one he used for... He created that was used in Billy Lynn. Okay, uh, I was going to talk about Billy Lynn. Frame, yeah. Which is... Four times the, the speed? Three times the uh, frame rate of 
The Hobbit, which we shot at 48. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's still not working. I still, yeah, I didn't like Billy Lynn either. I was yeah. just like, what makes a movie is that it looks cinematic. And I'm like, I don't want it to look as real as it possibly can. Right. right? You can see sets. You, like can, you see- can actually see that props are props. And yeah. Things right. aren't real. And you know what I thought, too, is that you could actually see that the actors were acting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In a weird way. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of the, the veil is missing. And I felt that in the first Hobbit when they screened it for us was that you could see, like, yes, you can see stitching on the costumes, but that makes you aware that they're costumes. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. It's not dwarven stitching. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a wardrobe mistress. It's yeah. somebody who's actually just repaired something. Yeah. I think and, it takes you out of that that movie moment or just that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, there is not it, there is not nearly as much effort required, I think, to enjoy the Lord of the Rings movies as there is to enjoy the Hobbit movies, just mm-hmm. because they're moving. There's a story. They look like I mean, they were shot on film and they look it. That's the other thing that really struck me um, with with uh, Peter saying that he wants you to see the Hobbits first. It's like why they don't they don't even look as good. I mean, you you yeah. want to introduce someone with the grandeur mm-hmm. of the Lord of the Rings films, where you're just you know you're not digitally altering that much new zealand is middle earth mm-hmm. yeah. it's weird and it's beautiful and it's got colors that you've never seen before in that order mm-hmm. and then to go in and lovely bones it up the way he did with with the hobbit that's just not the right move yeah and that's one of the things i also love besides for the story of lord of the rings is i was obsessed with the cinematography because i was like yeah. i've never seen anything that looks this beautiful yeah. before like on screen and at that at that time i was like i want to be a cinematographer because i'm just like these shots are like gorgeous especially the first movie there's yeah. so many shots that i was just like oh my god they just you could just turn it into like a painting or this is beautiful yeah they get a lot more frenzied but the first film is sort of almost idyllic for at least a good hour just yeah. before things really start rolling yeah I'm sorry, you're about, I cut you off. No, no I, I was just going to say there's so many traveling scenes in The Fellowship, right? That you're talking about, like, the landscape. Not even the landscape, just, like, you know, there's a, there's a shot when um, one of the black riders is riding towards, like, Bree, and there's, like, this light coming through, this blue light coming through oh, the, the trees fo- yeah, and yeah. the forest, yeah. and it's just, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they are gorgeous movies. Yeah. I, they're, they're just that was uh, Andrew Lesney, right? Yeah, shot them. Yeah, um, who's just this amazing eye. And <laughs> but I keep pulling in my brain at, at images, and it is the the naturalism is the thing I think that sells it is that you are watching people be people in this world mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of a big stylized Star Wars prequels kind of reality where you just get yeah. the sense that half the stuff on screen isn't real. Mm-hmm. And even though there are big battle scenes, which do kind of turn into software fighting software, which is the thing I hate the most about epic CG films. You still have the individual humans or dwarves or hobbits. You have the people to connect to in these movies that is the thing that keeps you watching instead of just sort right. of mentally checking out. Whereas in The Hobbit, it's like, oh, barrels on the water for 25 minutes. And there's, yeah. some, there's some people in them that I kind of care about, but I don't really. And then you have, here you have, even like even the scene of Orlando Bloom surfing and skateboarding whatever that is yeah. it feels like ingenuity for a second and it doesn't feel like pandering it doesn't feel like hey you kids like this like, yeah. like the old Simpsons joke this is the thing that you enjoy to see it's inventive and it feels like a character moment you know, yeah. that it maybe mm-hmm. doesn't have to yeah so I think he or Legolas has a moment in every single film like in the yes. two towers how he flips backwards on that horse and it's just like Right. And then he, him taking down the Oliphant and the Return of the King by himself. Like, yeah. he always has his one really yeah. big epic awesome moment. Awesome elf moment. Awesome yeah. elf moment. Yeah. Contractually obligated. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be super cool at 
at least once in all of these films. <laughs> yeah, which is not easy when you look like objectively silly. The elf—that's the thing that yes, really strikes right. me too. The elf makeup—I said it again. Uh, yeah. The elf makeup is goofy. Yes, but everyone carries it. Like the actors pull it off. Mm-hmm. If you're going to cast Hugo Weaving and Kate Blanchett and make them look like that, they're not going to play into it. They're going to be quite dignified and regal. And I, I was really struck by that watching it. It's like this. I should be snickering. I should mm-hmm. be giggling right. at this. When Christopher Lee turns up, he's a very old man. <laughs> and they're making wizard hands at each other, and they're doing that thing that is kind of, well, really goofy. But they are also... Like their wizard fight? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's dumb. <laughs> but it doesn't play dumb. By yeah. that point, you're invested in the stakes. And, and yeah. you know, this is actually two friends who've, who've, be, who've since betrayed each other and are dealing emotionally with that because like, that's why you hire Ian McKellen and Christopher Lee. They're mm-hmm. going to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was lovely. And there's there's nothing like that in the Hobbit movies. There, there There's Sylvester McCoy with bird shit on his head. Yeah, um, right. I think that was a Guillermo idea. It feels like the one thing that survived from his idea. It's like, yeah, he should have an animal. He, like, he, loves, <laughs> he loves the birds. He doesn't care. I, yeah. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I totally get that emotionally from, from that <laughs> development stage. I didn't get to ask Jackson about it. But um, but it's dumb. Like, when you see it, it's like, mm. ew. You're laughing, like, so, at it, right? Yeah. You're not laughing yeah. with him. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. The, the cinematography doesn't help either. Yeah. yeah. You're just confronted with the fact that there is an actor with fake bird poop on yeah. his head. <laughs> and nobody else is saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's I think that's like that's where you have Aragorn. That's that's and that's what's missing from the Hobbit movies is the Han Solo figure, the one who can comment on the action as it's happening, and befriend us as an audience. Mm-hmm. And that's what Mortensen does so beautifully is mm-hmm. he just sort of lets us into the ordinary person's story, which is he's still the best there is at what he does, but he's a guy. Yeah. And he's got father issues, and he's got yeah. I, he doesn't want to be who he is, and he's resisting his destiny, and he's the mirror for Frodo that way. But Frodo is also simple and determined and doesn't question himself like sam does all the questioning for him but yeah none of that is in the hobbit Mm -hmm. so there's this hollowness plus i mean yes they got Gollum right Gollum looks great is better and and andy circus was the the ad on the entire hobbit shoot as a favor which i found out on the junket too oh i didn't um yeah uh jackson brought him down to do Gollum and in the process of prepping all the motion capture stuff, they just ended up, he ended up hiring him and said, you want to hang around? And they stayed, he stayed and did the whole thing as, as the, um, either the first assistant director or the second unit director. No, it must've been the second unit director, but he right. uh, Interesting. handled all of it just because he's comfortable with motion capture. And, yeah. And yeah. Like, I've been stuff. doing this basically yeah. my whole life now. Yeah. He's like, I'm the guy. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody's going to do this job. Yeah, well, I mean, the two Planet of the Apes movies are just peeking out over there in that pile. And, oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, he really is the guy. He's the yeah. guy, yeah. And his physical stuff is great, but the voice, like, all of Gollum is terrific. Even mm-hmm. in the original, in the first time we see him, uh, it's the two towers, right? Like, he's not in yeah. Fellowship. Mm-hmm. He, he, he peeks out, you see his eyes, but yeah. I don't even think just it's a hint of... Andy Serkis maybe that even does No, that. I remember they were saying that when the Fellowship they came out, they didn't know like, what right? he was going to look like. Yeah. Right, yeah. like it wasn't rendered yet. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he just like yeah, so it's just his like eyes. his hands, and then he kind of leans into the light, and you see his eyes a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that's it. But then when he's in, I mean, I remember seeing that in December two thousand two, and just feeling like the world had changed because that we'd seen digital characters kind of, but they were mm-hmm. Jar Jar Binksy. And yeah, right. No one talks about that. Yeah, <laughs> like as a, as a net positive for the industry, but the way it's used in the Two Towers as simply an element of storytelling is stunning. 
I remember too. I think when it was Two Towers came out, people thought that like Andy Serkis should be nominated for an Oscar. They were definitely for, trying for Return yeah. of the King. That was yeah. a big part of it. And then they tried again for the Planet of the Apes movies, and they'll try again this year, I'm sure, because yeah. he is doing stuff that like literally no one else is doing. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the Oscars go to the again. They, people look at the effect, and they don't look at the person the, performing it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is. Yeah, I maybe they, I think maybe they even forget that it is a person behind it doing all of that. Yeah, it's like oh, it's just a computer generated image. Yeah, and we are at a point now, like in Pixar movies, where bits are acting in a way that they couldn't before, mm-hmm. which is incredible. But I, yeah, I mean, Gollum would be very different with a different actor. Like you just, the voice would be different, the physicality would mm-hmm. be different. And you just have to look at other people's performances in other similar roles to realize what is what he did. On. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I did want to ask because it's. I just I'm fascinated that you guys made this tiny little Toronto movie yeah. for almost no money with yeah. virtually no CGI at yeah. all. I mean, some color timing as far as I can tell. Yeah. And you picked and these. Picked so <laughs> the, the the final question on the on the podcast is always the same, which is like what of this film, what if the Lord of the Rings has made it into your creative DNA? Have you borrowed or stolen or lifted anything? But we can mm-hmm. take it in now because I think it's kind of relevant. How does it influence you or did it influence you? I guess so, from a writing perspective, um, I loved the scripts as well. I mean, I, th- I love everything about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so I loved the scripts, and one of my favorite aspects of the film I, were the characters and the relationships that they had. Um, and so, in my writing, um, that's what I'm drawn to most, is characters and rela- and their relationships with each other. Um so I guess like that's the biggest thing um, that I took from Lord of the Rings is like how you love these characters so much, and you even like a lot of them are like very flawed as well, and I love flawed characters, mm-hmm. and I like to write flawed characters, and so yeah, I, I mean it's an interesting pick from us who we're doing almost adults because like total opposite this <laughs> like the Lord of the Rings, and it obviously didn't directly influence mm-hmm. almost adults, but I think you know growing up. On those movies, I remember, you know, watching some of the special features and watching interviews and and even things in, like, The Fellowship. So many things in The Lord of the Rings were done practically, um, which I just loved about it. I loved the idea of, like, you know, how do we get this shot of all these orcs running down a cliff and how do we actually do it with a real camera, like, you know, rigged in the trees or whatever it was. Like, I always just thought that was so interesting, like doing it on the day and doing it, you know, figuring out problem solving, how to capture the kind of look you want. Or like Galadriel, you know, her eyes, they're just a bunch of Christmas lights that they put up and her eyes sparkle. Like that's just such, she looks beautiful and and the reflection in her eyes look beautiful and it's so simple, right? And um, so I really love that about it because it kind of goes back to talking about how they feel so real. Yeah, yeah. Too. Um, I think Lord Lord of the Rings was the or were the movies that made me wanted to, wanted to get into film. Um, prior to that, like my favorite movies growing up were always like Disney animated movies, and at the time I wanted to be an animator. Okay. For Disney, mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't like a, a good enough drawer basically, so I was like, well, there goes <laughs> that dream. And then I saw Lord of the Rings, and I was like, I I want to make movies, like yeah, because like just the feelings you get from watching those films I was like. Yeah, I remember um, 
Adrian and I, we went to the same high school together, and we started making short films in high school together. And I remember um, in our tech class, one of our assignments we had was learning how to use green screen. So you could get pick any movie you want, like a scene from a movie, and like green screen yourself in it. And I remember, I don't know if we did it as a partners or if we had our own assignment, but I remember doing a scene from The Two Towers um, where Frodo and Sam are with Faramir, and it's like when he lets them go, essentially. And I remember green screening my face and then putting my face on Frodo's face <laughs> and like doing his lines and like the, the compositing of the green screen was great, but like it was so bad. <laughs> like it was so bad. We also made a short film and used uh, the music from She Loves Lair as well. Yeah, we'd made this film that was like a, a dream. The whole film was a dream. And there was this, ca- Adriana was this character with like this scary mask on walking in like slow motion and we use that music, use music. so bad yeah but like <laughs> i honestly think that that peter jackson would be really happy to know that he'd inspired you i'm being deadly serious he would he would be so tickled yeah. he's, a, he's a very joyful man yeah it's, it's kind of weird uh, yeah. from i think the, he just is a hobbit basically he kind of yeah. is i think that's why he had to make these movies mm-hmm. and that's why he still defends them so much yeah. um He's a hobbit with phenomenal power. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just the ability to fly Stephen Colbert down for a cameo in the Hobbit movie and just throw it away in the film. It's there, but you know, if you don't know that's him, there's absolutely no special attention paid. That was the idea. He just yeah. wanted to be part of it. Right. And he made that happen. And he's this weird, generous person who just chugs away doing the things he wants to do. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. his Kong is... I'm, I love it. I think it's just this weird... Um, emotional love song to the original film and all that he's basically taking you by the hand and showing you all the things he loves about it which mm-hmm. naturally requires it to be twice as long as the original film just <laughs> because he wants to be sure you see things yeah. and restore things that were cut that, you know, like the the you guys have seen it, yes, seen yeah. it you know, like the bug sequence that whole thing that they had to they never actually shot but it was going to be part of it in the original film that there was this extra valley of monsters mm. and it just couldn't work and so he's like oh I can do that I'm going to make that happen yeah. just, his heart is so big with this stuff that he gets caught up and, and excited and that's why we have three Hobbit movies but it's also why we have Lord of the Rings the way it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is just so I mean that that alone and then of course Dead Alive and Heavenly Creatures and have you guys seen the early I've ones? seen yeah. Heavenly Heavenly Creatures was the first Peter Jackson movie I saw and I saw it in a screenwriting class when I was a oh, freshman in college that's great right. yeah yeah, I've seen Heavenly Creatures. I've seen Meet the Feebles. Mm-hmm. Is that the Muppets? The Puppets one. Yeah. And I remember I saw that when I was younger and it like scared me. Like I didn't like <laughs> it. It would. Because it was yeah. very frightening. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, the sexuality yeah. and the violence. Yeah. Just the stuff that, I mean, I saw it when I was 21 and I don't think I was ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was something. But I saw it with a crowd at, uh, at TIFF and it, it just, yeah, again. You said it was a Midnight Madness It was a Midnight Madness screening in the Yeah, those are fun too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it brought the house down. Yeah. And yeah. then Dead Alive as well. Uh, which I had already seen because they press screened it for us, and I still went back to see it with the midnight audience. And yeah. it was just. This was a better experience, I think, oh, too. Yeah. It was yeah. unlike anything uh, <laughs> else that you could get in this city, even now, because it was the Bloor at midnight, and the Bloor wasn't air conditioned very well, right. and people were just sort of delirious by that point. <laughs> like, they'd been at the festival all day, yeah. Yeah. and they're slouching into this hot theater where the sound isn't very good, and it mm. doesn't actually matter because it's just the images are all that really take over. And it's midnight, but it doesn't start on time. And so finally, when, when Dead Alive ended, it was 2 a.m. Um, and I must have told this story on the podcast before. I came out uh, sweaty and exhausted. Yeah. And this giant hand clapped me on the shoulder. And it was Quentin Tarantino, who I'd met earlier in the day yeah. uh, on the Reservoir Dogs jump. And he's like, wasn't that fucking incredible? 
just like bursting with energy. And yes, I guess it was. You, all you can do is return fire. Yeah. And he had behind him, he had dragged most of the cast of Reservoir Dogs. Not Kaitel, but Buscemi was there and Tom Sizemore. Um, uh, who else? Chris Penn was there. And maybe that. Oh, no, and Tim Roth. And they were all just so tired. Oh, and wow. you could just see it. They'd been doing press <laughs> yeah. all day and they were yeah. dead on their feet. And he was just like, that was like he just pulled them along in his wake and it was great and then he went over and said hi to Peter Jackson and the world changed I think right there wow but yeah 1992 was a good year for Tiff yeah but the range of his work like to, to see him making these movies now is it's insane that he would be that guy but at mm-hmm. the same time I think he's always just been that big his his vision has always been that big mm-hmm. yeah and I, I don't know what what he can do next like where do you go after you mm-hmm leave middle earth the second time yeah what's yeah. left yeah so i was wondering too what he's going to do next right <laughs> yeah besides for unfinished tales or the summer really <laughs> oh no yeah, yeah. <laughs> no he promised i'm holding him to that yeah. I, we also saw remember um the stage musical of lord of the rings oh we did which had nothing to yes. do with peter jackson right. no that was produced was that launched here in it, was, it was launched in, in toronto, toronto. Yeah. because michael terrio was um was he Gollum? St- stage actor mm. he's, he's in there I somewhere remember, yeah. Yeah. yeah but we saw that remember. as well I've seen everything how was it I never did I mean I enjoyed it yeah I thought Shelob was, was really cool it was like each leg was a, somebody on like a puppeteer okay and was it like the Lion King with visible puppeteers where you could see the yep. stuff working yeah they were mm-hmm. visible it was I remember it was like the stage when they were like climbing up um Mount Doom the kind of stage would rise and those were like the two fun. key yeah. like art direction moments that I really have in my memory the most. But. How long was it? I mean, how much of this, the book did they get in? I can't remember now. Because it was one. It was, it was one. It was one. Night. Yeah, I feel like it was like three hours. Whole, and all of them. Yeah. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. Well, nobody tried to do that for The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> Which could have, I think, probably would have been an easier play. But yeah. Than for the sure. Rings. Like, actually do the book. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just one journey. <laughs> and it's not anything crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I would watch. Well, maybe in a few years. Yeah. It'll yeah. take some time. <laughs> Give myself some distance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My thanks to Adriana DiLonardo and Sarah Rotella, whose charming queer comedy Almost Adults is available as of today on VOD platforms around the world. Thanks also to Kate Parks. She knows what she did. You can find Adriana on Twitter at AgeDiLonardo. A-G-E-D-I-L-O-N-A-R-D-O, and Sarah at S. Rotella, S-R-O-T-E-L-L-A. And you can find the Lord of the Rings films on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment in no end of special editions, box sets, and alternate cuts. They're also available on iTunes and Google Play, and I believe they're on Netflix, too. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. It doesn't have to be a thousand-page novel or anything, but some nice thoughts are always appreciated, and you can even mention wizards. Thanks for listening. <laughs>